1: this is wheel
2: bearings i'm dan roth from forbes i'm sam abu al from navigant research
3: and i'm rebecca linland from rebecca drives
1: back from nam did you see anything cool at nam and the all the like music people
3: you know tragically i really never left the retail store it's 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 such a zoo there that I did get to see a lot of cool people, but mostly because they were buying T-shirts from my brother. <laughs>
1: okay. All right. Anybody notable? <laughs>
3: um, probably not. I mean, my, one of my favorite people is this guy, Kenny, who does, who's actually endorsed as uh, as a, um, what do they call it? The impersonator, but in a positive way, a yeah. tribute of, um, for Elton John. Oh, that's cool. And, and Elton John actually endorses him. As somebody that he supports <laughs> doing his music, and Kenny is just a riot, and he's so much fun, and he walks around in full Elton gear all five days, and it's just a blast. <laughs> so he always makes sure to come into the store and say hi to us and stuff, and and um, he's just a great, he's a great, great guy, and does and does an incredible show. So he's always fun to see. And they were probably people that I didn't know, uh, that you know I should have recognized. But the, the fun part about now, is a lot of fun things, but is that the music industry, the people there are just so consistently nice and fun and just happy to be there and enjoy the show. And it's just, it's just such a great experience. That
1: sounds so different from a car show.
3: It does. <laughs> well, and I don't want to get us too off track, but believe me, that's what I was thinking. Oh, about. Really? Like, Well, this, no, it's true because, you know, so, so. NAM is the National Association of Music Merchants, and it's a combination of teachers. There's all of the suppliers there. So Fender is there, Gibson guitars, PV amps. Like it just goes on and on and on. And actually, last year Nissan was there because they had recently put in a Fender stereo in the Tundra. So there is overlap. Actually, I didn't um,
1: realize Nissan had a Fender. I know Volkswagen did for a while.
3: That's yeah, interesting, it's, huh? yeah. So they,
1: the, oh, you mean the Titan?
3: And the Titan? I'm sorry. Yeah. A Nissan Titan, yes, so yeah, it was it was you know, so there is some low overlap, but it shows to me, Nam shows that what what an industry event can still be, you know, sort of like CES, right? It's just it's that you know, it's just there's a level of exclusivity. there's you know you're seeing new cool things, you're seeing exciting things. Uh, and people really want to be there yeah. it, it's fascinating
1: well, I, you know, I, I think that it's a. The, that industry has more tentacles than the car industry, and it's it's a little easier for them to iterate, <laughs> you know?
3: Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, absolutely.
1: <laughs> but it, that's cool. I'm glad it was a good time. Um, th- so now we're all back and we're driving stuff, so let's get to that. Uh, Sam, I was actually interested in your impressions of the Lexus GX, because didn't we just tear that thing up a while, like a couple of episodes ago? No, that was the yeah, LX, I think, right? Oh, it was
3: the
2: uh,
1: LX. Uh, I had the uh, LX.
2: Oh yeah, sorry. It's, it, was, it was the LX that I had. I, I missed oh. this in the rundown here. It was the yeah, it was the same the same one that you had. Okay, uh, the very
1: same one you and- found uh, Rebecca's initials carved <laughs> under the dashboard. Yeah, strangely enough,
2: I, I was wondering what that RB was or that RL was there for. Um, no, okay. yeah. So it, it was it was the same. Yeah, you know, in fact, you know, the two row version. Um, yeah, you know, and. It, it, the timing actually was fortuitous because uh, it was right before I, uh, a couple of days before I left on a trip and uh, we got like eight inches of snow and then it got warm that day, you know, and so it all kind of got melted and slushy and then it got really cold the next day. And so it froze all this stuff. So maneuvering around in a regular car, you know, would have been a little more challenging, uh, you know, because this is basically a luxury um you know, a Toyota Land Cruiser, it was, you know, it, it's actually really well sorted out for, you know, off-road driving, you know, aside from not having all-terrain tires. Uh, you know, if, if you actually wanted to use this thing off-road, I would definitely recommend getting some some proper tires for it. You know, the all-season tires were fine for, for what I needed, you know, and, you know, getting around my neighborhood and, and other areas around these big chunks of ice, you know, that had sort half half melted and then flash frozen um you know it definitely made it easier that said you know this is a, a big hulking suv you know, it's a you know traditional body on frame suv you know for all the 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 good and bad that brings along you know it's heavy it's large um but you know it it's it's capable uh for what it's designed for um and it's also a gas hog you know, it, over the course of like four days, I think I drove it and, and then dropped it off at the airport. It averaged about 10 and a half miles per gallon. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, excellent. so I mean, you know, the, <laughs> that's a shoe and, that, and, that, size. Not, and that included, not you know, some highway driving to size. get to the airport. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So,
1: where was it yeah. as underwhelming though as, um, Rebecca found it with just the, or like puzzling? Like, why does somebody buy this with this? Uh,
2: yeah, it, you, know, it, you know, it kind of was. Um, you know because like i said it it's got you know a lot of the same characteristics as a land cruiser you know but it's more luxurious but you know you're you're getting the you're you're compromising those land cruiser characteristics by putting all season tires on it instead of proper off road tires on it like you might have on on a land cruiser uh because Nobody that's going to buy the almost nobody that's going to buy the Lexus is actually going to use it for what a Land Cruiser is intended for. So it it, it is kind of puzzling as to why it exists. Uh, but I'm, you know, I mean, there's a few thousand people a year that seem to like it. Um, and for them, that's great. You know, yeah. I would have no use. I mean, if, if I wanted a luxury SUV, I would be much more inclined, I think, to go for something like a Range Rover you know, like a, a real luxury SUV with real off-road chops, I would be much more inclined to go for something like the Range Rover or, you know, uh, you know, a year or so from now, you know, for something like the Rivian R1S, you know, which I think is really targeting that. And it's, that's going to be an EV, um, you know, for, for what this is, you know, as, as we said last time, it's kind of old and it feels it, uh, you know, the, it, it has, you know, the, uh, the Lexus Enform infotainment system, which is you know not a great UI, it it doesn't have a touchpad like like the newer Lexus's. It still has the, the old mini joystick uh, joystick slash mouse controller, which is okay, but you know it's it's just it's just not a great experience driving this thing.
1: Yeah,
3: yeah, I think I mean my friend Tom, as I mentioned before, my friend Tom ha- has gotten two of these, and he he loves it. But he loves it for very specific reasons. And and the most important thing in his mind is that his aging golden retriever Matilda, her cage, she can lay down comfortably in the back. That is his number one priority. And but I also Yeah, but oh go but, ahead. Well, because I also think that he's not a Toyota guy. He'd rather have a Lexus. So he's very successful. You know he's he's owned Lambos and Bentleys. He's got a, a an I eight right now, uh, along with a um a, a, a Alpha a Julia, and he would he doesn't want it to have a Toyota. He wants a Lexus. And say and hashtag okay boomer.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I mean that 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 use case of you know having enough cargo space in the back. You know, it's not like there's not other suvs that have a big cargo area in the back it, know. you know is legit but you know if you're talking about you know having an old dog you know senior dog you know that wants to be able to lay down and spread out you know it's also a very high liftover so i mean how how's the do- you know do you have a ramp in there for the dog uh, to I, I walk know. up the ramp
3: I, I, you think lift the dog up? Up. I think he picks her up and puts it in yeah I I, it's it's I'm just telling you. <laughs>
1: it's, it's a okay. real world I, you, know, you can get it. you can get little dog ramps. <laughs> hey, Nick, that, oh yeah, that yeah I know. I, I yeah, know. I mean, d- sure. d- and
2: and you know, if you have a big dog, that's actually very useful. Yeah. I and mean, one of my neighbors down the street, you know, they've got uh an older Ford Explorer and they've got a you know a 10 month old Bernese mountain dog.
1: <laughs> and, such a know, big
2: dog. He's he's already over a hundred pounds. Yeah. Um, and he's he's Mike Corgi's best friend. I
3: was gonna say that's Daisy's playmate, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh, so you know, I mean, obviously they can't lift him up to get him into the Explorer, you know. Right. And he's he's not quite, you know, he he's not able to jump up into the back of the Explorer on his own. So they've got a ramp, you know, so he can get up into the back. Yeah, which is great. I uh-huh. mean, and and that's that's perfectly legit. But you know, for again, for well, I guess you know it it depends. You know, it sounds like your friend has a particular. Use case where he he wants to have an SUV, you know, that he can take the dog yes. in. But so that's and that's perfectly legit. I
1: mean, that's that's why we have all kinds yeah. of different vehicles. Well, but and th- we will. There's no van options like uh, in terms of a luxury van. You can't you can't get a Lexus version of the Sienna. Well,
3: no, our no. class went away. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah the R class sort of fit that. Um, and I guess you know, given the the competitive set, right? I I personally would probably have more faith in. The Lexus, even though it's old stuff, than an Escalade. The Escalade's going to be nice for a couple of years, and and I'm kind of I'm a little on the fence about how well uh, General Motors luxury holds up. You know, the powertrain I'm sure would be fine, but just you know, the, the Lexus stuff. While it's a little disappointing in some respects, and some of the materials are kind of not as good as you'll find in other brands and stuff, it tends to be really reliable and durable and that's one of the things that sort of bites some of the other luxury brands is they just don't age well so when you sell a vehicle that's already old it's sort of like pre-aged you know (laughs) yeah
2: you know i'll I'll be curious you know the, the next time your friend rebecca you know replaces the lx you know what he chooses whether he continues with you know another lexus or you know, maybe looks at something like the um, the BMW X7 uh, or something like the Rivian.
3: Yeah, well, I mean he he's having so much fun with his i8 that I do see him potentially getting. <laughs> Like an X seven, I mean, he's single, but he's got this dog, and you know, and that's his priority. And so, and he does. not fa- I mean, in fairness, too, he does.
2: And that's perfectly there's, legit to like have the dog there. beer because priority. Right. Exactly. Uh, yeah, it's, it's it's been done. You know, it's, I think something about racing and, yeah, and, oh, and precipitation.
3: <laughs> well, I mean, he does. You know, and he, and he does like at Pebble Beach. He drove down from Seattle to Monterey. And then we, there was five or six of us that would get it in and out of this thing constantly. So, you know, and then they drove back. And so, you know, he does enjoy driving it. And I mean, as you said, the fuel economy, uh, I think I, I think I got right around 10 to 11 in town as well. I mean, the rate, the one that I had was rated 12, 16, and then combined 14. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I finally put my review up on Rebecca drives and it's just, it's a beast. It's a yeah. beast to, to park. Yeah. It's a beast to turn around. You know, it's just, it's big and, and, but it's just a beast. That, you know, so
1: that fuel economy is abysmal, especially from the brand that makes, you know, the Prius. Uh, but, yeah, it, you know, I don't, I think this is such a sort of niche seller in the U.S. especially, you know, it's it's because it's based on the, what is it, the Prado that is, right. I think it's a lot more popular in other Versions, especially Toyota versions in other parts of the world where it makes more sense. So here it's kind of just like, okay, we compete with Range Rover. Here's our sort of half hearted <laughs> yeah. attempt, you know?
3: Yeah, they probably yeah. can, well, they can probably make this for a relatively short money and it's all profit.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, the tooling would have been paid off long ago. Um, yeah. And I'll, I'll be curious to see what Lexus does next in this class, you know, because of, you know, some of the new competition that's out there, uh, you know, and, I I would assume that at some point in the not too distant future, you know, there will be a next generation of this platform, uh, you know, that at that point may well get, you know, a hybrid option, you know, because I think there's um, I think there's a new uh, version of the Tundra and, you know, some of the other trucks that's coming out either later this year or next year, you know, that will probably have a hybrid variant available. And, you know, Lexus is, you know, or Toyota and Lexus, you know, are really going all in on having hybrids available in pretty much everything they build.
3: Well, because hybrids are getting so much better because they're so much more transparent now than they were. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's different than like something like the Prius where it's, you know, there was a lot of sacrifices, especially on the early Prius. And yeah,
2: you're, you're right. I mean, now it's, it's, you know, it's completely normal. Yeah,
3: right. It took a long time. Well, I think
1: too, like, um, I I would love to see a hybrid Tundra um, because of Toyota's experience with hybrid. The thing that I recall is uh, the Prius hybrid hardware didn't scale. As well. And that's what, like, so GM came out with hybrid trucks back in the day. Uh, and they had, the, right. you know, the hybrid uh, Escalade and stuff. Is it like
3: 10 years ago? Yeah, it was.
1: Yeah. More was, than that? Yeah, 2008. Yeah. Um, yeah right? But yeah. yeah. They, so they had the hybrid SUVs where it was more of a challenge for Toyota to match that because their system didn't scale up to truck use as, as well or as gracefully. So it, uh, it'll be great to see what they do with it because they have so much other experience with it now with their fleet. Um, but I, you know, the, the next LX is just going to be like one big grill. <laughs> hey, yeah. <laughs> and I, you awesome. know, it's funny you mentioned the X7 because uh, that thing took so much crap when it debuted and it just yeah. it looks fantastic on the road. I see them around the Boston area yeah. and they just look fantastic. They look really good.
3: They do. They do. It's a handsome vehicle. Yeah. It really
1: is. So, all right, so you didn't like the LX, Sam. It. Look- it's not a vehicle for me. Not not for, that okay, way. but for its target yeah. market, it has some. There's some sense there. Um, yeah, I mean for 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 wealthy single guys with a with, with an a older golden dog, retriever,
2: yeah. you know, wants to lie in the back. It's a perfect SUV. So
1: then, who is the 2020 Lincoln Aviator <laughs> Touring for? Then uh, is that for like um, older <laughs> golfing couples or no? Definitely, I don't not for couples. Um, um, you know
2: more more you know more for. You know somebody who who wants luxury and you know wants three row capability um, and also you know wants performance and electrification and and all that stuff all all in one fancy package. Um, you know we, Rebecca and I both drove the the Aviator last summer at the uh, the media launch out yeah, in California. I thought
3: it was excellent.
2: It, it was, and you know it, it's it still is. Although the example that I had here, I did have a few issues with it. And it, it turns out that it seems to mostly have been related to the battery, but not the big lithium-ion battery under the floor, but rather to the to the old-fashioned twelve-volt lead-acid battery under the hood. Do tell um, what happened. Yeah, so um, you know, at, at one point, you know, midway through uh, the week, I had had it for uh, all of a sudden, the driver's side door wouldn't open from the outside. Um, you know, I, pre- I unlocked it and. You know, grab the handle, and the the door handles on the Aviator are they have electronic switches on the inside. You know, so you grab the door handle, and it, it triggers the switch and unlatches the door. And I could not get the driver's side door to open. I actually had to climb in from the passenger side uh, and was reach it across out? to open it. Yes, was- it was cold. So- I mean, it's not an
3: excuse, so- but I'm just like trying to like picture like.
2: This it wasn't it wasn't, it you know, it wasn't a polar vortex cold, (laughs) but it was it was, you know, it was in the 20s.
1: Doesn't that. Uh, So that's not cold. So that makes the argument. Sorry, that that makes the argument for having like, you know, a linkage (laughs) or something. oh uh, Totally. Well, on the other
2: hand, except that that wasn't that wasn't the end of the issues. Ah. um You know, the the very last day, you know, the day it was supposed to be picked up. You know, I was moving a couple of things around in my driveway and I moved the aviator, you know, so it was in position so they could easily pull it out of the driveway and and, you know take it away and, and replace it with something else. And I moved it and then I came back out um, you know, an hour later um when uh when I when they were on their way to pick it up and I was gonna get something out of it that I had left in there, get my USB cable out of it. And I could not get any doors open or anything to respond. I mean it would and so I finally pulled the yeah uh, you know when you have uh, these modern vehicles with uh, keyless entry systems with a fob, there's always a physical key still embedded in there for emergencies. right. And in the case of the aviator, um because of the way the door handles are done, you know where the there's no keyhole there. the keyhole is actually embedded uh, just underneath the uh, the mirror on the driver's side. And you know there's a little there's a there's a little flap there that. It's not very visible, but if you just stick the key through it, um, you know, it'll you can unlatch it manually, unlock the, the door manually. And it actually does release the door, which actually could have been useful earlier in the week. But at this point, I tried to get it started. I tried to start the car and it wouldn't even wouldn't crank. I mean, it was completely dead. And um, you know, when they <clears throat> when they came to to get it, it actually got it jump started. I was trying to figure out how to jump start this thing because I, I didn't want to mess anything up because it is a plug-in hybrid. So you've got these two parallel electrical systems. You know, you've got the high voltage system and the 12 volt. And there was no owner's manual in the car, so I didn't no, want to do. The anything owner's with- manual
1: is in the infotainment now. So they don't print
2: well, it. No, actually, <laughs> it's because you know these the, these press vehicles, as we've talked about before, are very often are pre-production models, oh, yeah. and okay. so they're shipped from the factory, and they don't they don't necessarily have everything with them that they're supposed to like the owner's manual. Uh, and so I didn't have an owner's manual, so I didn't want to risk jumpstarting it and <laughs> destroying it. So I just left it until they got there, uh, but it was completely dead. And they, after they picked it up, they started it, took it back. An engineer checked it out back at Ford and turns out it was a defective 12 volt battery. So, you know, even on these modern high-tech vehicles, you can still get tripped up by something as, you know, as basic as a classic lead acid battery. Um, and, you know, but aside from, aside from that, actually driving it was actually, you know, just, it was still a great experience. You know, this thing, uh, you know, is really quiet, um, for something that weighs almost three tons. <laughs> it, you know, it's, it's surprisingly, um, you know, uh, nimble, uh, you know, it, it, it's got, it handles quite well. Um, uh, and really nice interiors we've talked about before with, with Lincoln's with modern Lincoln's um, you know, the uh, you know, everything worked, everything inside, you know, when the 12 volt battery was working was worked great. I love, you know, unlike you, Dan, I do like the 30 way adjustable seats and I am able to get comfortable <laughs> in them. And I, I love the, the massaging system they have in there, which is great when you're t- going for a drive. Um, and, you know, it's, I think for personally, for me, you know, if you're looking for a three row luxury SUV, I think that, you know, I I personally think this is a great choice. Um, It, you know, it is a plug in hybrid uh, and I drove, I took it for a drive, uh, you know, fully charged it up. And the temperatures were in the mid twenties when I took it for a drive, I wanted to see how far I could actually go just on electricity without getting the engine turned on and, It's got multiple drive modes, one of which is, um, you know, the pure EV mode. There's also a preserve, uh, preserve EV mode where you can um, when you put it in that mode, uh, it actually runs the engine and it'll uh, actually charge up the battery so that if you're going somewhere uh, where when you get close to your destination, you want to have it be able to go into EV mode. It'll actually charge the battery up for you while you're driving. But. Um, in pure, in just straight up EV mode, it's only got about 100 horsepower uh, from the electric motor, but it's got, you know, a couple of hundred foot pounds of torque. And, you know, it's, it's not going to be a speed demon in that case, but it's got enough. It's, it's enough that, you know, in uh, city driving, you can accelerate at a reasonable pace without the engine coming on. And I got about 15 miles out of it. It's officially rated at 21 miles, uh, but again, you know, it was cold out. Uh, which is going to degrade the, the performance. So I got about 15 miles out of it and you know it, it's you know it's not it's not necessarily um, something that you know if you're looking for you know for, for really a, a pure EV, you know this is not the vehicle for you. Um, but if you want you know a luxury three row SUV that gets really good fuel economy um, you know overall and you know can also do a bit of electric driving then, you know, it's it's definitely one to consider. It's not inexpensive. You know, this one was, uh, you know, it's a black label. It was like $84,000. Uh, so it was pretty much loaded with everything. Um, but frankly, I would take this thing over the Lexus LX any day.
1: It's a little more modern, which I think- And that it's $20,000 less. less. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and, you know, this is, this is
2: not, um, you know, this is not uh, an off-road vehicle either. Uh, you know, mm, right? It, this, it's difference. This is, this is yeah, this is a this is a vehicle for on-road driving, and you know, it is the most powerful production Lincoln ever ever built. You know, four hundred and almost just shy of five hundred horsepower, six hundred and seventy foot-pounds of torque. You know, this thing is pretty quick. Um, oh, one one other uh, thing that that I did note um, in some driving modes, particularly if you put it in sport mode at low speed, sometimes the um, the engagement you know, of the clutches when it's going, switching between um, electric mode and um, and hybrid mode. Um, sometimes you can feel a little bit of um, a thunk, you know, when, when it's engaging the clutch. When you switch it over to normal or econ mode, that pretty much goes away, it disappears. So I think it's just a matter of, you know, they're engaging the clutches a little quicker to give you a little better performance when you have it in sport mode. And that affects the drivability a little bit. Um, I, I've heard some complaints from some people, from a couple of people that drove it during the, um, during the North American car of the year evaluations last fall that they thought it was undrivable And that's, I mean, both this time and last summer when I drove it, that, that was absolutely not the case. You know, it's not quite in sport mode. It's not quite as seamless as perhaps it it should be, but in any other mode, it's perfectly fine.
1: I mean, undrivable is kind of a extreme criticism, right? Like you're actually driving the thing. (laughs) It's just uh, some, especially with, with all the drive systems. um, That kind of stuff is not uncommon where you get some, some of the, the power transfer, you know, sort of uh, makes a bump here and there. Um, Some of the Jeeps do it too. Um, But I mean, I don't know that it's terribly uh, acceptable either. Like you, you would hope that Lincoln can, Well, especially in
2: in a vehicle this expensive. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, so they'll they'll have to figure that out, and and maybe they're if it was a pre production car, maybe they're still working on those calibrations or whatever. How's the um? How's the visibility out the front? Um, you know, it's
2: typical of an SUV. You know, it's not great. That's um, you know, I mean, the,
1: apparently one of the, the critiques the, of the Explorer is that like the sight lines are bad. So there's a huge blind spot in front. Did you find that? Mm, not not
2: any more so than any other you know similarly sized SUV. No you know the pillars the pillars are actually slimmer than on the the old explorer you know substantially slimmer than on the old explorer so i think it's the visibility is actually better than previous generation explorer
3: it's just you know we mock the 30 way seat but Those sort of minute adjustments can actually help you with that that visibility. If the a pillar is a little bit wider, and you're able to move your seat back just a scooch, or move it up a little bit, or just make those fine tune adjustments, that can really improve your visibility.
1: Oh, absolutely! And it's so funny now because everything we drive has uh, uh, power seats, and I well, except the Jeep Wrangler that I have. (laughs) That will get you. Um, But it it is weird when I get in a car with manual seats and a good, a good manual seat still allows for that fine adjustment. Um, And a lot of manual seats are still not great. They're still, you know, back in like 90s economy car adjustability wise. Uh, So, yeah, no, that's that's. I think that's right. You can get that 30 way seat seat sort of dialed in position wise where you need it. I'm just, you know, maybe I'm just not comfortable in my skin. So I shouldn't expect to be comfortable in a car. So,
2: (laughs) well, you know, I I think, you know, one of the challenges with manual seats, especially is with height adjustment. Mm -hmm. You usually don't get much in the way of height adjustment with most manual seats. Um, And that is an advantage you tend to get with, you know, power seats like this is, you know, being able to go up and down. Uh, So, you know, depending on how tall you are, uh, or lack thereof, you know that that can be really <laughs> valuable.
1: I, <laughs> no, I, I mean I'm, I'm sure. You no, know. it's true. It, it is true. true. Yeah, I, I loved in my my Volvo Seven Forties. I had this a little lever right on the the near the tunnel, and you can adjust the height of the front and back of the seat. It had limited positions because it had pins, so it would lock. There was sort of three positions in front, three positions in the rear. Um, but there's some cars now with the manual seats where they have like a little lever that you pump on the side, and you can get them up and down. I said. Yeah. And that certainly helps. It sure does.
2: But overall, you know, to the visibility question, you know, it's this is an issue, not so much of the aviator, but of SUVs in general, big SUVs in general, you know, where, you know, you've got a hood that's up high, you know, and that inherently is going to limit your, your visibility, especially forwards.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're just going to take out pedestrians, which is, I think, an increasing problem uh, that it nobody's is. really talking about. Uh, you know, I stood next to an HD uh, Chevy pickup the other day, and I was like, "Holy crap, huh. it's taller than me."
2: Could you could you reach over the bumper?
1: Uh, <laughs> no, almost not. Like it was just. I mean, those, those things are enormous. They are, they're high, and this one probably had a lift in it, but it's just, it was tall. And I was like, I practically that's not useful for me. If I was using it for truck stuff, I. You can't get anything in it. You have to climb up into it and just. I, so
2: Re- Rebecca, when you when you drove the LX, I mean, how yeah. did you find the visibility in that one?
3: Well, I, I didn't run over any small children, so I got that going okay. for me.
1: Large animals. Um,
3: yeah, exactly. No, uh, you know, it. It's deceptive because the ride height gives you the impression that you see more. Right. Cause you're sitting up so high. So you get the impression that you've got full visibility when in reality, of course your line of sight is compromised by what's in front of it. Yeah. So, mm. you know, I think that there's, it's, it's one of those things that you don't notice until you've hit that cone on a test track, Yeah, I would, you know, right. or a, right until you test it, you don't realize that you don't have the visibility that you think you have.
1: Well, I think you see further, like you'll see further down the road, just because of the angle that you're at, that it's, I think you're right. I think it's deceiving. Nobody ever thinks about that distance in the front of the car, which you can't see because of the long Uh, hood of your seating position. Yeah. And
2: there was, uh, there was an article somewhere that was just published or a study that was done. um, I think it was um, maybe a newspaper in California. Uh, You know, they did a bunch of measurements, basically, you know, when you're in a big truck or SUV, yeah, you can see what's you know two hundred and fifty feet down the road better because you're up higher, but it's that thirty feet right in front of the, your vehicle that you can't see anything in. I mean, you're it's a complete blind spot.
3: But that's you know, you also could, why. you
2: can hide me out of there, right?
3: <laughs> but that's also why I love the cameras that, like, when you you put you know you put the car in reverse, it shows the back, and then I love the three sixty view, and also the ones that when you put it in in drive or forward. <laughs> that it continues to show the space around your vehicle. I think those are, I I wish that that was a more common thing. Some vehicles do it. And it's funny because sometimes I think it's actually just because the system is slower, uh, (laughs) but it does help though in some ways. So, you know, that's something that I think would be really effective is to have a camera that, you know, when you put it into drive, it doesn't immediately change. And, and instead does show you that that 10 feet or 15 feet directly in front of you.
2: Yeah, well, the the problem with those is that they typically only work up to about three or four miles an hour, and then usually as soon as you get above you know crawling speed, then the camera switches off, and you know for a legitimate reason because they don't they don't want you looking at the screen right you know to to navigate you know when when you're actually on the
1: road no not for the no we don't want you looking at the screen for the cameras but we want you looking at the screen for every other goddamn thing while you're driving (laughs) sorry that is a peppy but no you're like (laughs) It's true. Um, some of the systems. How do you feel, Dan? Uh, <laughs> look, it was an opening. I just had to take it. Uh, uh, the The Mercedes that I just had, the the GLC 300, um, was like that, where it would keep the screens on a bit as you sort of maneuvered around a parking situation. It would actually, as you in in traffic, even um, as you got down to sort of stop and go, and it mm. it would you you'd hear it sort of deploy. It, it had a, a rear camera that sort of folded up, so you'd hear it like zink. Uh, Oh, funny! Hold up the camera and bring them up on the screens. So I think that's something that they are um, paying attention to. And there's usually a button for the like surround view monitoring on cars. You can you can kick it on in traffic, right? Um, Which I I do appreciate. Yeah, it's it's nice. I kind of wish that we could just make the cars with enough glazing and visibility, and maybe some smaller physical dimensions, so we didn't have to use cameras to make sure we don't crush things it'd be nice yeah,
2: you know they, they still make those some brands still make smaller cars like that yeah and, you know that's we, true you know if we could just convince people to buy them you know they might continue to make
1: them. yeah that i mean i'm I'm not exactly a poster child for small cars although i do love them i really i like the, the small car feeling i like how cozy they are i'm <laughs> sure we can pick me. you up a smart at any time i'm all set with the smart <laughs> all set <laughs> good good with that um but you know since i started talking about it let me um let me just keep rambling about the glc 300 man i so that showed up and i expected to dislike it and my first few hours with it were a little contentious because it's pretty sophisticated you know it has the mbux system which is a change from command so there's a bit of a learning curve it has a little sort of touch sensor just like this little mound <laughs> that you have to um interact with and uh it it took me some getting used to to figure out where all the settings are there's a lot of settings and, and just how you navigate back and forth between like nav and phone and, and that kind of stuff um but the tech doesn't define the vehicle and the glc as a vehicle is really 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 good um it is that you know speaking about sort of a smaller size it's a little more compact it's uh, that good size i think that the sort of personal crossover suv size it's you know if you want to use a kind of a ridiculous term like an urban crossover or an urban suv it, it really does fit that that need um it's it's just about just right for going into a city into a parking garage it's easy to park uh it's very comfortable while you're in it um it, everything feels really high quality everything you touch has been considered you know the switch gear feels really nice which is you know something that you can you can have the car that looks great but if you if you use those window switches right and there's that line of molding flash on there you can feel it sort of it it's those little things that sort of mar the experience and and the GLC has been really thoughtfully considered for all of those it's uh very quiet very comfortable what engine noise you can hear is you know, four cylinder turbo, so it has a little bit of that gravel to it, but it's not offensive. It 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 doesn't sound like it's not enjoying itself. It 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 it, it sounds good, uh, and it gets to work with the nine speed transmission really well. The chassis is really well composed. It handles well. It rides really well. Uh, the, all the drive modes they they make a difference. The steering feel was nice. I was actually surprised. The steering sort of weights up in the middle of a turn, which doesn't always happen these days. Um, yeah, you know, the back seat was kind of tight. I didn't uh, find it terribly spacious, even with uh, the front seat set for my uh, sort of smaller stature. Um, it was still a little tight for the for the kids, and the cargo area is good but not great. Um, but it's it's a compact class of I think it's like a B segment or maybe C segment SUV. I think it's
3: C. I think it's C, well, G, yeah, yes,
1: it's a, a C. Right. Yeah. And exactly. so this, I, I finally, while well, I had it, I figured out Mercedes naming conventions. So. The the GLC is basically, it's the SUV equivalent of the C-Class sedan. The GLE is the SUV (laughs) equivalent of the E-Class. I was like, holy crap, makes sense. Um, But no, I I, so I expected to really dislike it. And the more and more I drove it, the more it grew on me. I really liked it. I found MBUX actually uh, after a, a day or two pretty intuitive and pretty quick to navigate. And the more time I spent with it, uh, I, you know, I think it would just get easier and easier. So, and I think that's the mark of a well-designed system where yes, it's complex and yes, there's a little bit of a learning curve at first, but after you spend some time with it, it becomes intuitive and easier to, to operate. And so I think that, you know, deserves, uh, a. uh, Sort of a a compliment and a a round of like well done on on Mercedes part because uh, command wasn't great and uh, they've made it a lot better uh, I think with with MBUX so and and you know to top it all off I just like the way that the GLC looks it just has that tidy sort of taut uh, Mercedes look to it that it's just it's classically handsome. It's really nicely styled. It drives really solid. It was great in the winter weather. We had some snow while I had it, so I was really impressed with it. I liked it quite a bit.
2: Did you um, use the uh, the voice recognition much?
1: I not much. No, I, well, I used Apple CarPlay most of the time, which is okay. weird to admit from my Luddite seat over here. But uh, it, it it worked. Pretty well with all of that. Why is there an issue with it that you wanted to? No, I'm just
2: curious uh, because you know part of that uh, that MBUX system is a new. Um, you know, oh, that's right. Like what they're a natural language processing uh, voice recognition system. Yeah, uh, it's it's uh, the the voice rec part comes from nuance but it's, it's a hybrid system. So there's part of it resides, is embedded in the MBUX system locally in the vehicle. And then there's also a cloud component too, like you have with uh, Siri or Google Assistant or Alexa. Um, so that when you're, you know, when you have connectivity, it will send, you know, your request, it'll process your requests in the cloud uh, where it has more capability to do more natural language style processing. But then if your connectivity is spotty, uh, or non-existent then it, it it has a subset of that capability locally so i was just curious you know if you'd messed around with that and and how you know how good you found it
1: i i hadn't but uh i will make it a point the next time i have an opportunity i, I should be able to get back into it in a couple of weeks we're doing a winter vehicle award thing up here so i'll be able to go play with it um but i i was really i really liked the way it drove it was sporty enough for me in terms of chassis discipline, but it was I also felt like it was luxurious enough, like a, a Mercedes should feel. And, you know, fully loaded, it wound up at about 62000 which is like it's pricey. Don't get me wrong, but it was less expensive than I thought it would be.
3: Well, and I think you're right about the design of it. It's just it's it is it's just a classically sort of timeless elegance. It will age well mm-hmm. in the marketplace, you know. And that's very appealing for consumers, and it's just, you know, they've had some nice evolution. Speaking of grills, you know, the the front of it, I think, has aged again, has aged well in previous editions. I think they've done a nice, restrained, a job of expanding the grill without making this it this gigantic mouth that just feels like you're going to swallow it up. I'm still incredibly partial to the coupe version of it, just because. <laughs> As I've said before, it just screams I don't have children. Yeah. Uh, and so, <laughs> um, but you know, I don't know. It's just it's my little rebel. Okay. <laughs> so, right. um, but no, I think that it's been a while since I drove a Mercedes, actually. Uh, but I think that they're just they're just classically, traditionally beautiful vehicles. I think they've done a nice job.
1: Yeah. Well, and this one had the AMG line uh, or whatever so it has the amg grill versus the, the so standard fun. grill so it had yeah. you know i just the detailing and the design was uh, it's those subtle little things that that you know i think they define especially that premium category you can't just charge a lot of money and throw leather on everything you know like it right. really it, fe- it needs to feel like it it was done with a purpose and and, and looked like it was done with a purpose. So this, this whole the whole car, I thought, was, you know, 62K, again, didn't feel outrageous for it because it felt right. like it was worth it. Whereas there are some okay. other cars that don't feel like that, which I'll get to in a sec.
3: <laughs> I, I think that they don't they don't just they're not just leaning on their brand name. They reward you with those touches and feels and materials, they reward you for purchasing a Mercedes. Like they don't let you forget it, you know?
0: Yeah.
3: It, I, ju- I feel like there's a constant reminder that you've, you know, you've purchased something special. I mean, I had that crazy, um, I had the GTC Roadster back <laughs> in September. That was just, you know, all sorts of fun. It, it That was $162,000, um, but you know, it was it was. You had no doubt that you were in a Mercedes at all times, and it was just nonstop fun.
1: Yeah, yeah, and so the contrast to that is the, and I, I won't prattle on about it, but the uh, the Volvo XC90 uh, T6 R design Polestar engineered, um, which rolls think- off the tongue. <laughs> yeah, well, the Polestar engineered, I think, is a particular package. So it, you know, this is right. another vehicle that it looks really great inside and out. It looks premium, but that's also where it sort of lets you down because unlike the Mercedes, where yes, it has a four-cylinder turbo, but it 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 didn't sound bad. It sounded, you know, it's a good sounding engine. It it uh, you know has the right amount of power. You know, the XC90 is bigger, so it's got a more powerful engine but it's also a much heavier vehicle so the engine feels like it struggles and it also does not sound happy about it you get a lot of engine noise in the volvo which i was surprised about and it would have been better if it were good engine noise it's not great engine noise um so that was disappointing and it just chassis wise i i don't know why volvo can't get this right uh and this had the air suspension Huge disappointment. It just, it's just—it's clumsy. None of the—you the, know—the steering's too slow. The—the the ride and handling is just not—not not graceful. Um, but you're also not rewarded with good sort of reflexes. Like maybe in terms of hard numbers, you could manhandle this thing around a, a handling course, and it would—it would post okay times or whatever. Or it would do all right. It hates every single second of that. It's not like the Mercedes <laughs> where you could make it hustle and it it wouldn't mind. It, mm. You know, like and that's I maybe not terribly important with the XC90, but I guarantee you if you cro- if you walked over and stepped in an X5, it would feel mm. sporty, and the <laughs> XC90 doesn't.
0: Do you
3: think that that's? I, I mean, it's interesting because you know I've had my pros and cons with Volvo's myself. set so my you know the XC40 that I drove back and forth in one day to Pennsylvania. It was like, you know, a six, seven hour drive. I actually really liked that car. And the more I was in it, the more fun I had with it. Um, the, the XC90, I do remember being quite restrained and not in a positive way um, and not Particularly emotionally engaging,
1: yeah. Either I, I, well, so the XC40 is the CMA architecture, so it's a, it's a different platform, which I think, um, and it, it's just sort of a different slice of the market. So mm. your expectations yeah, are it a little is different. For sure. But I right. like I I liked the XC40 quite a bit. I liked the the S60 and even the the V60 Cross Country, which are yeah. based on the yeah. SPA platform that the XC90 is. I thought those actually the S60 I thought rode and handled quite well um yes and just was a, a good overall premium european sedan the, the xc90 for whatever reason it doesn't feel as um as solid mm-hmm. it was it's it's hard to explain but it feels like um you know it feels like they've cranked up the the spring and damping rates but this is the the, the chassis isn't quite up to that stiffness so you get you get a lot of harshness over stuff that you're not. You shouldn't, you know, it just should be able mm. to soak that stuff up and it makes it feel cheap. And it's not cheap. It's $80,000. Yeah, it's <laughs> not cheap. Just like for 80 well, grand, I would not buy this.
3: And it sort of interrupts the experience then.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Right? And,
3: it's, you know, because all of a sudden you're like, oh, boom. Yeah. Like that's not.
1: Yeah. And I like, so I told somebody the other day, I was like, look, if you want something that looks that good and has three rows, buy the Telluride.
3: <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it, absolutely. And it drives 100%. Better. Like. Yeah,
2: 100%. 100%. When I, when I've driven the XC90, you know, I've, I've, I've had a couple of different ones over the last several years. Um, I didn't have that same experience with it. I wonder how much of that is the, the Polestar engineered part of it. I think it's a big part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause Polestar, you know, is their well, it was, it was their performance sub brand. Now it's their EV sub brand. And so, you know, I think, the, the Polestar engineered, you know, is supposed to be a sport version of the XC90. And maybe that's just, you know, going a step
1: too far for that particular vehicle. Well, I think part of the problem is Volvo's inability uh, historically to really tune a suspension for sportiness in the, in its segment properly. You know, I remember the, the original T5Rs were very capable cars but man did they suck in terms of ride (laughs) they were just super super stiff um and this is the same kind of thing you know it's got big wheels and short sidewalls that does not help (laughs) um you know it and the air suspension i think has been problematic on the xc90 every xc90 i've had with the air suspension has been surprisingly harsh uh where you would expect air suspension to go the other way um and and generally like i'm not a huge air suspension fan it's and it has a lot of promise that generally is unrealized i think in my opinion in terms of of how it actually goes down the road it's great if you want something cushy but if you if you really want something that can be a chameleon i think you're better off with the system that has you know steel springs and adjustable dampers and that, that generally gets you a lot further uh but Yeah, I don't, I don't know what it is. It's, it's some, some sort of decision-making process or something where they, they tune it a certain way, decisions are made. And here, at least in New England, on New England roads, it, it winds up being a little bit disappointing and uh, not as, I don't know, not as competitive within its class. You know, I'm just trying to think like if I, if I were to drive a Mercedes or a BMW or an Audi. Which are all its competitors. I can't imagine that they would feel as harsh. Uh, I think they would they would feel more more uh, poised in most situations. Well,
3: and, and you don't, you know, harshness is not good in any circumstance. But in some ways, like when you think about, I, uh, you know, like the X Five M, you know, like like that, like harshness for a reason, you know, because you've yeah. got it sport tuned because you're expecting that you are you are in a sport. Mode, and I wish you could see my hands because I'm like ripping them like oh I want to go back <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> we'll
1: have to do a video podcast uh, but, yeah, it,
3: but it's like you know, you don't want it floaty no. right? because that's annoying you, you, you want, want it, control- it
2: controlled and also supple at the same time Yeah, and, and right. so
1: I think one of the things that makes it difficult when you get a vehicle that's as lo- you know th- this is the biggest version of the SPA and so maybe that's the they just can't get it rigid enough at that you know to 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 work that well in this version of it where the S60 is a little smaller so it it's by its very nature probably a little bit more rigid a little a little less susceptible to to torsion and bending so they can they can adjust the suspension differently cuz i didn't feel like that car was harsh and it's the same same parts in a lot of respects uh this is also not the most high performing XC90 there's the T8 above this that that's the one that really has you know it's got the the hybrid so it it has a, a bit more performance. It's, yeah, I think it's got like 100 more horsepower, which definitely helps. Um but you know the the XC90 is it it has this niche of beautiful to look at, really comfortable to be in, three rows, relatively large. It's a good family SUV, but it it, it has these weird areas where it lets you down. And and so it's it's a little puzzling to me. Um and at least I haven't pitched about census yet, which I'm not going to do because <laughs> it's going away anyway. So who cares? Well, I'll complain about the next version. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, I, I was, uh, I was hopeful that it would be better, but it's, it's also like, it's now it's a five-year-old car, right? The new, the, the XC90 debuted in 2015, something like that. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. So it's, it's due for some updates and I think it's class has uh has started to eclipse it so we'll see what they do with the next version or the the mid-cycle refresh which should be coming soon i hope
3: so i was driving the 2020 wrangler unlimited rubicon 4x4 which is just fun yeah i mean (laughs)
1: yeah well if you're into that sort of thing (laughs) so okay so it's the the wrangler unlimited rubicon 4x4 what powertrain
3: so this one has. I'm sorry, I have to take my glasses off. It's it has a 2.0 liter uh, inline four. No, the,
1: the, the turbo Wrangler automatic. is the best Wrangler. I that's great. Yeah, I like to yeah. Do that And that's that's also the e torque. It's that's the really hybrid.
3: Yes, it does. It's really, really nice. I mean, I drove it, I haven't driven a ton, unfortunately, but I've been running errands yesterday and today in it. Yesterday was raining a lot and uh, it was, it was surprising. This one has the cloth roof, which I was able to put open today, which was super cool. Uh, But this one has uh, the cloth roof and, you know, at low speed, in traffic yesterday, I was really pleasantly surprised that it was pretty quiet. I, I did make a note in my review on the, after the riding drive that there was some wind noise at, at higher speeds. You're going to get that. But just driving around town, you know, going 30, 25 to 35 miles an hour, I, I was pleasantly surprised. I also didn't have anybody in the vehicle with me, so we weren't having a conversation. But it didn't matter because the radio was soft and I was able to hear it and I had a conversation. I talked on the phone with Somebody and so, you know, it was it was a good experience overall. Today, then I drove it around a little bit more and took some twisties. It was was again running some errands and visiting some different people and and had the opportunity to use it as I would uh, in a day to day environment. Obviously, ideally, you want to go off road in this thing, but that is not to be. So, <laughs> um, but I'm just I'm so impressed. With how well behaved this vehicle is on road, knowing the crazy things that you can do with it off road. That to me is like really, really fun.
1: That does always sort of impress me about the Wrangler. And I I tend to get tired of the Wrangler after a week with them. I'm like, okay, it's out of my system for a while. But they're pretty, pretty impressively refined for something that's the same basic design going back. You know, well, especially this new generation. Yeah. New the generation, new is really good. yeah. The, the contrast yeah. between the JK and the JL is is it, it's in,
3: it is. I mean, my brother has the JK, and and I I agree with you, Dan. I'm like, okay, thanks, bye, thanks for the ride, <laughs> see ya. <You> know, <laughs> and I also have a much more difficult time getting in and out of his than I do this one for some reason, and I don't know why. And I I don't know. Ex- I think he's got the fully loaded. I think he does have this exact sa- same one, the unlimited Rubicon because the price point was crazy, like this one is. Uh, and, you know, for whatever reason, this one is just, I can get in and out of it easily. So it was interesting. It does have manual seats. I, by, And at first I had a little trouble figuring it out what it could and could not do. Uh, But then this morning I was able to adjust the height of it, which then let me put it back a little bit, but greatly improved my visibility in it and my comfort level also. And so that's where, when we were talking earlier about manual versus electric, I would love to have an electric seat. I understand why it doesn't have it, obviously with it being like basically a a vehicle, you can wash it out (laughs) and you can get wet. but. You know, it's something that you just have to play around with the seat a little bit more and, and give it a little time to figure out what you can and can't do with it. But, you know, I just i it's so iconic. And I just I love the fact that they really have honored what the brand is and what this vehicle is. But at the same time, they have made it where you really can use this vehicle on a day-to-day basis and you know it's I've said it before and I'll say it again it's the busboys and billionaires I mean you just see <laughs> you see these you see Jeep Wranglers at the smallest houses here in Greenwich and at the biggest ones I think you and definitely need
1: to be more of a billionaire to afford where the Wrangler has gone well <laughs> and, and so how many of the Wranglers do you see have been just like sort of fetishized with like the angry eye grills and all kinds of add on the, the most disgustingly ugly wheels you Ever seen and Punisher <laughs> so stickers? Funny.
3: Actually, today I saw a JK that was just a two door. You know, I was I was those amazed. Are yeah, those are weird premium. to see now, aren't they? It was <laughs> it it was shocking. It was it was really shocking to see. So this one has a starter starting price of seventy. Oh, I'm sorry, forty one seven ninety five, uh, and then deliver the destination charge is fourteen ninety five. I think that's one of the highest in the industry is, for non. Is it just a place where premium. they sort
1: of like slug away some extra costs where they're like, yeah, yeah, we can quote you a different price. We're going to charge you more for destination and we're going to, you know, I am
3: I'm, I'm actually really surprised. And so then this, this price is out at 59 I mean, it's a, it, that's an
1: incredible I, amount you of feel money. Like a, you know, I don't know what's
3: uh, a Mercedes
1: GLC. Well, <laughs> sure. But I'm just thinking like, it's like the full size pickups too. or like, you know, the, the sort yeah. of full on luxury pickups. Um, depending on you know your buying situation right like if you're if you're a successful billionaire business person or whatever like you can buy it as your company vehicle right and amortize it over 7 years so
3: yeah, I don't think it weighs enough
1: oh maybe it doesn't that's that's true uh, the big pickups too uh, no, well you can you can still lease it like you know if you yeah, lease you it can as lease. a company
2: vehicle okay yeah. right and, yeah there, there's there's tax credits on heavy duty vehicles that you wouldn't get on this, but you can still right. get tax breaks, you know, as, as a, as a and, company. Lease. Right. And
1: beyond with the, the sort of tricky uh, bookkeeping, they will give you a very long loan on that. Yes, <laughs> you know,
3: they like, will. But so this. So so just a couple of things on this one. This one actually does have the cold weather package, which has the heated steering wheel, heated front seats, remote start, because the one that I had on the ride and drive. Was like fifty two thousand, and it did not have heated seats. And I remember just thinking, for fifty two grand, right? Like that it should just heated. be but standard. Like, it, well, yeah. So this, so the one that I, the one that I drove on the event was fifty three and it did not have heated seats and steering wheel. It didn't have the cold weather pack. That's crazy. and I agree, especially because even if you're out in the desert, even if you're in you know, in in, the, in Nevada, it, you can use a cold weather pack because you can use heated seats. You want to put the top down or something like, so those are things that I just feel like you use all, I, I use them all the time, no matter where I am. But yeah, so so this one at least had that. But I mean, it's, again, it, it's, a, it's an insane amount of money, but it's a, also a vehicle that you can very gracefully drive and in comfort to work and then just go, badass off on the weekends.
2: <laughs> hey, Rebecca, uh, I'm yes. curious, the The soft top, you know, is that uh, like a fully lined multi-layer top?
3: It doesn't appear to be fully lined. So it's the Sky One Touch Power Top. It, it was fairly thick, but I don't believe it's lined. It also, but it didn't flap at all, which I was again, very surprised about. I, I can, I'll get back to you on that.
2: Okay. I'm uh, just curious, you know, because you, you commented on how quiet it was. And so I'm just curious, you know, if it you know, had some insulation built into there.
3: I, I know it was, it just fit so tight. Like that's, again, what I was really surprised about is that the fit on that, on that roof is really, really nice. It is. And um, then it goes.
1: It's, th- it's a pretty thick material too. So even if it's not insulated. Right.
3: Yeah. It goes all the way back. You know, you I, I looked back and it is like all the way back I, with one touch. And um, but I just, again, was very, very surprised. I haven't taken it on the highway yet. I will do that tomorrow. That's that's I, where they
1: fall down. So, They're loud I, on the highway.
3: Well, yeah. Well. And that's, you know, NVH is very, you know, specific to circumstances.
1: Yeah. yeah, and it's
2: especially with the, you know, when you get a Rubicon, you you do get all-terrain tires. And yes. so those those are going to make a lot more noise at highway speeds.
3: Yes, exactly. And again, that's that's where you know, I posted something on our Twitter account, on Twitter reviews about how quiet it was, but I'm um, I was on, you know, in at low speed in town roads. So I'm not taking it on the highway as I said I'll do that tomorrow.
1: Yeah. Um, I don't know about the full soft top, but uh, so the there's the Wrangler with the hard top, the DJ with the hard top, and they have the, like, the cloth roof in it. Um, that is made by a company called Hearts, and they use a specific fabric for it that has, mm. I think, PVC in it or something. I don't know. Anyway, somebody else can do the research and get back is to this. Is that
3: us. the one out in,
1: in Massachusetts? Yeah, they're in Acton.
3: Yeah, my dad actually used to call on them. Oh, really? Yes, because uh, he he was in they they used to treat it flame treat it or do some kind of heat application on on different materials
1: and he used to go there oh that's interesting yeah so the it's that particular material I don't know again I don't know if the regular soft top is made out of this but that that portion of the um the roof and the the, the soft roof and the hard top versions is uh, twillfast which is uh, it's a three ply material and there's a rubber inner layer which will mm. you know that will uh, add some mass and some sound deadening so right uh maybe well, maybe it's the same material used on the soft top i don't know they're actually super nice people i've, I've met the they
3: super nice people i know they were really lovely and when my father passed away they were very very kind and very very sweet i uh, but that but also what's impressive is that again the fit of that of that top is very very tight. If at any time that gets compromised, then I could see where it might be really loud. Yeah, right. right.
1: And this is one of the things with the JL; they made the top easier to use. Uh, yes, it's <laughs> one st- like the, the JK it's one was more confusing. Yeah,
3: no, um, it's amazing. It's one touch. It goes all the way back. I mean, I was in a convertible. You know, in ten seconds, and then I put the heated seats on and steering wheel, and I was happy. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> in but yeah,
3: I mean the price. The pricing is definitely you know, something that um can be a deal breaker for some people if if you get it all dolled up. Um what's this? so because the base, I mean, the Wrangler Unlimited Sahara four by four starts at 28,295. So, you know, there's this huge range, sort of sort of like the aviator, it's sort of actually like a lot of cars these days. There's this great big huge range of price points and Which is good because then you can decide what your budget is.
1: Yeah, well, and the the Wrangler, if you're going to sort of load anything up with all of the options and pay for it, that's a good one to do it with. I'm not that I ever suggest anybody go into that kind of debt, but uh, (laughs) it it holds its resale.
3: It does. You can't. It does for sure.
1: A cheap Wrangler is never cheap. Like you're gonna like. They just they they all go for for good money. Even like go try to find a TJ.
3: It's yeah, not a no, wrestler, it's true. So. They,
1: yeah, it's amazing. You had posted about the the Wrangler mm-hmm. to the car review tweets, um, Twitter, and you you got some sort of commentary back, which I, you know, it's it's valid critique to a degree, but also just sort of how how the reviewer kind of ecosystem Crit- might work. Critiquing the critique, yeah, which yes. no, it's fine, and we're open to it. Um, and it was just, uh, I think it it deserves sort of a mention. And, and a little bit of discussion.
3: Yeah, so I had posted uh, just briefly because that's what our brief Twitter car reviews are, <laughs> right? Um, just about how pleased I was with the, the NVH in that, and um, and you know, somebody came back and said, "Well, Motor Trend said the exact opposite." Well, that's fine. That's that's the beauty of it being an opinion. Right. You're Like this
1: is you know, there are opinions in this one as mine, which I think is it's valid. And I sort of made a check. I was like, Where right. where the reviewers people should listen to? Exactly. It's,
2: it's like, you know, as, as they say, you know, opinions are like certain body parts, right. you know, everybody's got one. Um right. you know, and I think You know, the the comment, you know, from uh, from this person, you know, to reply to your uh, comment, Rebecca, he said, but with conflicting opinions like these, any wonder what many consumers don't take journalists seriously and those who do uh, get seriously confused about what to believe. uh, My opinion, you know, helps uh, my opinion, helps all to remain discontent with such comment or such content. Yeah. And I think, you know, especially when you're talking about reviews, you know, these are, as you say, opinions and right. you know that they are completely you know in in most in many ways most ways probably especially for us you know because we don't do instrumented testing is you know they they are completely subjective and it, there's absolutely nothing wrong with having very divergent opinions
1: right. on a particular vehicle well, uh, i i think they're they're subjective but they're also informed. And then, I mean, I think it's yes. valid too to say, like, you should always look at it with a skeptical eye, um, uh-huh. especially when a lot of folks who are looking for reviews, they they don't know how to put their preferences or their thoughts and feelings into order or into words as well as we do. And so you've got to sort of look at what what the reviewers are saying and whether you think that the criticisms are valid, invalid. You know, some people will think that our you know are the way we ramble on about infotainment is <laughs> important uh where others will and they're wrong <laughs> <laughs> <Exactly. you know? laughs> like and, and because it's not important to them right or um the, you know i've had people say like oh census is fine and we we've complained about census or you know iDrive or, or whatever you know and it's like okay like if you find it easy to use i i get it but you know, we're in a lot of cars and some of this stuff is harder to figure out than others. And, you know, here's my informed take on that. And, you know, right. you can choose to, to take it or leave. it. I'm not going to get offended either way. And we're certainly not going to get in an argument. And I don't I don't want to be doing that here either. And I, I don't think that's what we're doing. But I, I think it's so it's valid. I think it's a valid thing to say. Is it any wonder that people get confused? Like, no, I'm, I, I don't think it's a wonder that people get confused. But also, like, we're trying to. Sort of lay our cards out on the table too. Right. And, well, and you know, the important thing, sorry, Rebecca, no, I ahead. just want to
2: say one thing. You know, the, the important thing, you know, as a reviewer is to provide context about why, you know, what is your rationale for your opinion? And as long as you can provide some justification for your opinion, then, you know, anybody reading that review or listening to that review can say, okay, that matches up, you know, with, my lifestyle or my use case you know or it doesn't you know and then you're better off you know to look for someone that uh you know that that does you know that that is looking at it from the same perspective you are you know for me you know when when i talk about suvs that that i may not like uh, you know it i try to give the context of Here's here's my here's why I don't like this. And it's not just I don't like this, but here's why I don't like it. And here's why it might be the right fit for a particular customer. And that's that's I think that's really the important thing when you're reviewing this stuff is to provide that that background of why you feel about it one way or another and who you think it might be right for. You know, and when you do that, you know, yes, you're going to get divergent opinions because people are coming at it from different perspectives. They have different points of view. And, you know, if you've you you have to find the, the reviews that that meet that point of view. And, you know, I think for for us, you know, we're you know, we're typically trying to come at it from the perspective of the average person that might be looking to buy a vehicle. You know, and, you know, what what are they going to get? for their money out of this product.
3: And I think also, and you're absolutely right, Sam. That's the thing is that this is, I I think, I think we, I go back and forth on the one hand, I want to give my perspective. On the other hand, I realize that I am shorter than 99% of all adults, but at the same time for shorter people, they're like, Hey, you know what? That's really good to know. And, you know, my, I, I did a, I did a, a, I don't know what they're called, like IGTV or something with my brother that I posted onto Instagram and he's six, three. And one of my followers wrote and said, you know, that was so helpful getting his perspective. I'm the same size as your brother. And it just demonstrates to me that, you know, it's just because what, you know, I may be at, you know, 1% of the population and not the tall version of it. It doesn't mean that people aren't going to find it helpful to know that kind of information yeah. and, and
1: i don't i don't think that that's where the comment was was sort of uh going um but yeah, no, no, I, it, I agree
3: well, like, well he reached out to me later and said it was actually supposed to be a dig at Motor
1: Trend which I wasn't well, that's really sure about. What was going to say? It was like <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> I was going to say like listen I don't agree with the Motor Trend guys usually but I always <laughs> learn something about that kind of person and what they like. Uh, but, yeah. but that's that's the thing like you could you could read reviews you can you can almost like hate read re- stuff right and you you challenge yourself and you learn a different perspective and that's that's like I I was so unimpressed with the Lamborghini Urus for example but I read Johnny Lieberman's thing in Motor Trend about it and it just sort of pointed out a few things that made me appreciate it a little more in that Johnny Lieberman way. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, it's, it's it's valid. Um and it, I look, he continue to criticize us, we'll we'll take it. We might fire back, uh, you know. And and on that theme, I'd I'd
2: like to jump into, um, into a user or a listener email, um, that we got uh, a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, it's, it's continuing along this, the same theme of, you know, our perspective on different vehicles. And this one had to do with EVs. And I'm pretty sure the same person was, was a person who gave us a, uh, a rather negative review on Apple podcast. And the, um, You know, uh, let me just read this. So, um, hi, I I genuinely enjoy listening to your podcast, but listening to your EV and PHEV recommendations on your most recent podcast, I was struck by your best advice is to wait a couple of years from now for new EVs and EV infrastructure. The only the really only sane advice for an occasional 350 mile trip is using the Tesla supercharger network. Uh, I would suggest you try to check periodically your preconceived notions about the quality of Tesla vehicles and not dogmatically steer people away for fear their vehicles won't last. Every new electric vehicle is by definition an all new or very new platform. The idea that traditional automakers do EVs better and more reliably than Tesla is something you cannot say at this point in time. What you can say is that qualitatively, the experience of owning a Tesla in terms of Uh, things people care about, like range, performance, and charging is better than traditional automakers if you listen to owners, the EPA, and just about everyone else who experiences it. When you recommend a four year old used Leaf or Mitsubishi Outlander PHEV, for gosh <laughs> sakes, it makes me supremely glad, very glad, giddy in fact, that if I randomly selected 6,000 people off the street, only about one would have ever heard of wheel bearings uh, Sam, Rebecca, or, or Dan. Wow. Um, so, wow,
3: that's so, so,
2: hilarious. so, so let So let me respond to this.
1: Well, I mean, okay. okay. So, no, to be fair, I'm going to go to the ER because I am burned. There are some valid points there. Like, there are. that that, we didn't recommend the mitsubishi i i I said something about it listen you can buy the mitsubishi yeah um but (laughs) listen there are valid points there but i think at least from from my perspective when i steer people away from tesla has nothing to do with their ev prowess every time somebody brings up tesla to me i say they they do great you know motors batteries power train you know power management like all the ev stuff fantastic they're not as good demonstrably not as good at building a freaking car and that is a, a big deal and the supercharger network yeah i guess for now but th- that's at some point there's going to be a you know the, the lines are going to cross and that's going to be an obsolete network that they're I going think, to have to scramble uh, to upgrade so i'm sorry sam go I, ahead go ahead rebecca <laughs> okay, go, go ahead rebecca
3: I'm sorry. I feel like you say that a lot to me and I appreciate that. Okay.
2: <laughs> that was another email, but we don't need to get no. that out.
3: <laughs> Oh no. <laughs> I I feel like I think it's very important to say that nobody wants Elon Musk to fail. Nobody wins if Tesla fails. It does not, but there's there's the there's this ex, such extreme between the haves and the have-nots, the, the Tesla Teslarati and oh my gosh, you hate them. It, that's not true. I have considered myself for years now, a Tesla realist. I want Elon Musk to succeed because I think it helps the industry. And I think it's a good thing that he pushes the envelope. But the idea that we have blind faith one way or the other just is not a fair assessment of how we look at the brand, I think.
2: Uh, And I I agree with that. And, you know, we have we have all said repeatedly on this show that, you know, clearly the industry would not be moving in the direction it is at the speed it is right now, had it not been for the the success of Tesla to the degree it's had success so far. You know, they they have spurred the entire industry and demonstrated to the entire industry that EVs can be a, a. you know, a realistic, you know, viable proposition that consumer, some, a lot of consumers actually want to buy, not just that they have to buy because they, you know, because they're trying to virtue signal or, you know, they, they feel a certain way, you know, but it's, you know, they're creating a product that people actually want to buy. That said, you know, I think, you know, we've we all, I think we've also made clear, you know, as Dan said, that, you know, we think that, you know, for all the good that Tesla has done, you know, we don't think it's a particularly well-run company for a lot of reasons. And, you know, we don't need to rehash that right now. But also to address a couple of specific points in this in this email here, it says the, the really only sane advice for an occasional 350-mile trip is using the Tesla supercharger network. Or rent a car. Actually, no, that's nonsense. Right. The only, if you have an occasional 350-mile trip, it, and but you want to drive an EV, the same advice is to buy a used leaf and then for those occasional trips, rent a car, Yeah, rent, you know, rent, rent an ICE car, you know, because if you use it occasionally and it's not something that you're driving every day, then, you know, you're not having, it's, it's not having the kind of impact of, you know, for example, driving a Tahoe on a daily basis, you know, when you're, you know, it's only one or two people in the car. That's stupid. You know, that's just, that's insane. But, You know, if you you know, and if you want something, you know, if you have a a ten or fifteen mile commute, you know, owning a a Nissan Leaf or you know some other lower cost EV makes a lot more sense to do that on a daily basis, or even to you know to have a conventional you know an ICE vehicle that is much less expensive, you know, even a a used you know older vehicle, Um, you know, from a from a from a pure cost analysis. You know, pure economic point of view for the average consumer that can't afford a forty or $50,000 car, you know, owning a, you know, having a $20,000 or, you know, or even a used $10,000 Corolla is a lot more sane. But even if you're going to have something like a used leaf, you know, and then rent a, a Tahoe or a minivan, you know, a couple times a year, um, you know, if you've got to take the kids on a road trip to go visit the grandparents or to go to Disneyland or something. That's actually a lot more sane than, you know, owning a very expensive car that you're not taking advantage of all of its potential capabilities on a daily basis.
1: I I think there's that we do it with with regular cars, too. And I I think what it comes down to is the like, if I had to, I could kind of thing. And in the sense that the Tesla has the range and they have the charging network. Yes, I agree. If that's something that you are regularly doing and you want to do it EV, sure, it might, might make sense. You can even get a used Tesla. That's, that's fine. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I think, I think part of that question, and maybe I'm mistaken, but part of the original question was, so there was an economic factor to it as well. We were looking at, at costs. And so some of the suggestions we were trying to to keep the costs lower uh, and which, which drives, you know, those, those other um, suggestions. And When you're talking about a used car, any used car, like I'm gonna, I, I, I recommend the Camry and the Corolla, and those are not cars that excite me to drive in any way. (laughs) But But, you know, they're they're affordable and reliable, right? So, and that's the same thing I'm doing. I'm gonna recommend a Leaf because Nissan has been at it a very long time, and that car has most of its bugs worked out. Yeah, it's not, it's not a Tesla, but you can, you can get a used Leaf for a very good price, and it will. It has enough range to to really cover most of your needs. Uh, a Bolt, same thing. The Bolt is very well done. I think it's sort of not on anybody's radar, even though it's been in production for a long time. Uh, and you can, you can pick one up and it's going to work, you know, kind of as advertised reliably. Um, and there's dealer networks and support structures around. And that's the other side of car ownership and not everybody wants to be. Uh, a beta tester for the manufacturer, and I think that um, you run into this like, well, you should listen to the owners. Well, kinda, um, but if you listen to owners of a lot of cars, who sort of they're they're in love with their car, right? Like I, when I was in the the rear wheel drive Volvo thing for uh, you know a number of years, you know the little pocket of enthusiasts. Um, there's always that sort of like comparison of like our cars are better than anybody else's cars. And, you know, those those cars over there that are, you know, the competitor group or whatever, the rivals. Well, they're not good because they don't do these things. And so there's always that grain of salt you have to take with the 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 owner's perspective. And a lot of owners don't actually know what they're talking about. <laughs> so there is that. not to pull that card, but like. I don't know. This just gets to wind up. I'm going to make us get more emails. <laughs> so yeah. I'm going to stop no, talking, you're, but.
2: You're, you're right. I mean, the, the original, you know, I mean, I think what the, the original recommendations that, you know, that this uh, writer was responding to, you know, were based on, you know, as, as we talked about, you know, earlier, you know, it's based on context. You know, what, you know, the question that was being, we were trying to answer the question that was being asked. Somebody had a budget that they were working to. And so we were trying to give some recommendations that would fit that budget uh you know, it, and, you know, in this case here, you know, if you can afford a Tesla and you want to buy a Tesla, go for it, be my guest, I'm not going to stop you. Um, you know, but it's, it's just not, you know, just as, you know, a Miata is not the right choice for, you know, at least 1% of the, of the population, you know, it's, you know, a Tesla or any other car is not the right choice for, you know, some portion of the population.
3: So. I think also there's a couple things to remember fuel economy standards and the zero emission vehicle mandate out of California it's not a suggestion it's a mandate uh-huh. has also been pushing the development of electric vehicle technology I I don't know that Tesla has pushed adoption rates of electric vehicles they've pushed adoption rates of teslas that happen
2: to be electric i
1: think they've pushed consideration of electric
2: vehicles yeah and and they've and they've also but have they pushed
3: adoption
1: of it i I don't know i think that's a a good point but i think they've they've at least put them on other people's radar to the point where other automakers have seen that it's a viable business
3: well, the other automakers don't have a choice because the California ZEV mandate.
1: Right, but they were they've shifted from building right, compliance cars to now saying, "Oh, there's a know, niche in that premium yeah, marketplace. Absolutely, so.
3: and and that was a key that was a, a key flaw in like I'm just going to pick on on GM for a minute because as we've heard before, if the the Volt with a V, if that had been a Cadillac, I think they would have been much better. And, and if it actually had looked at that, like the XLR was it or the ELR rather? That was a beautiful looking vehicle, but at the end of the day, it turned out that it was a tarted up Volt, and nobody was going to pay the kind of money for it. So the strategy, what Tesla has done so well, is they have married technology with a beautiful vehicle, with the the mystique that is Elon Musk, Uh, and all that's that's the difference.
1: The mystique is is a big part of it, and
3: it 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 is a huge part of it. And so, you know, when I was doing work in Saudi, we were looking at who was buying electric vehicles and there were three distinct profiles and the Tesla buyer was completely different than the Nissan Leaf buyer. And and those were primarily the two that we compared it with. The Nissan Leaf buyer had two different types of people. One was actually wealthier than the other one and more educated. The other one was more economic and environmentally motivated, but it was... It was very distinct, and and when I look at vehicles like the Audi e-tron, that is so good and and size appropriate for today's marketplace. Whether you agree with it or not, it, it's it and the fact that that isn't just booming to me says that this is less the Tesla success is not so much centered hundred percent around electric vehicles, electrified vehicles, but it's, it's really around a variety of factors.
2: Well, you know, granted as, as good as the the e-tron is in a lot of ways, and I think the same also applies to the Taycan and and some others, Sure, yeah, they, they, you know, the European premium brands have fallen way short in terms of trying to be competitive with Tesla, you know, on the, the very things that this writer, um, you know, is highlighting, you know, the, Not so much the performance, but certainly the range, um, you know, is, you know, as irrational as it may be, you know, that, you know, do you really need, you know, 350 miles of, of EV range? No, probably not. And we've discussed that before. But, you know, if you're going to try to compete in the marketplace, you know, where you've got Tesla over here with 300 plus miles of range and all you can manage to scrape up is 200 miles. Or in the case of the Taycan Turbo S, you know, 192, I think, or 194, you know, you look at that it's like, oh, man, I don't know. You know, it's. Yeah, it's
0: frustrating. I think they,
2: they have fallen short, you know, and and, you know, we've been critical of those brands for doing that, especially, you know, when prior to launching those vehicles, they talked so much about, you know, getting 300 miles of range with these vehicles. But what they didn't tell you was all the little asterisks. Oh, this is on the European NEDC drive cycle, which is a completely meaningless test that, you know, is wildly over optimistic. You know, so, you know, we've 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 given we've had plenty of criticism to share across the industry for this stuff.
1: Yeah.
3: But I just feel like when when people I'm sorry. No, carry on. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like when people talk about Tesla. They they brag about the torque, which is a result of the electric vehicle obviously being electrified. They brag about autopilot, about being quiet. They're not bragging about, hey, come and check out my electric vehicle. They say, come and check out my Tesla. Yeah,
1: that's that's true. And I I think that they do. I mean, the amount of vanity plates speaks to this where they, they like to say, you know, I'm not using any gas. There's that virtue signaling there and uh, okay, fine. Um, it, it's just, it's a, it's a, it's a lifestyle. It's a conspicuous purchase. And, um, the, the product, it has its pluses. Um, but me as a, as a car buyer, if I'm looking to drop that kind of money on it, uh, the customer experience needs work and the Way the company, the service. yeah, the and the way mm-hmm. the company is run. Like, look, I choose not to do business with companies that I don't agree with their professional ethics, and that is a company I disagree with heartily uh, in terms of its professional ethics, and so I, I, I won't do business with them. I mean, I, look, I. <laughs> I refused earlier today. I was like we're not going to go see the concert that's at Mohican Sun cuz I don't agree with casinos. <laughs> like it's the same thing. Like I just like you can buy one if you want one if you believe it if you want to put up with the stuff if you want to own the thing. Fine. I'm sure you'll you'll like some aspects of it and you won't like other aspects of it. Cool. And if it works for you, fine. Uh, this goes back to I think again understanding the source and y- I i am glad that we have a listener who will sort of give it to us. Like it's <laughs> just like, okay. Um, but you kinda like this is this is where we're coming from. And if you disagree, go go buy a Tesla and I hope you're happy with it. And I, you know, please tell us why you love it and that might help us understand the ownership experience better.
2: And hopefully you don't accidentally make an in-app purchase in the, <laughs> in
3: the Tesla app. Yeah. But I mean the idea that You know, the podcast isn't viable because we're not Tesla files is just absurd. It's childish.
1: Yeah. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Breathe, breathe.
3: (sighs) (sighs) Wait, did somebody really send an email that I interrupt you a lot, Sam?
2: Uh, No, it's the other way around that I interrupt you too much. And if I do, I'm sorry. Oh, I don't but, feel like but, that at all. But, 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 you know, just, you know, keep in <laughs> mind that, you know, we are talking to each other over Skype, you know, where there, there's always a, a, some inherent latency and we can't see each other's faces. It's not like we're sitting around a table. And, you know, so sometimes, um, you know, we may talk over each other. We try, you know, I think we all try not to, yeah. but, you know, occasionally it does happen. But we are, we are, um, we
1: have, we have a live thing in, in, in the works soon. I should yeah. make sure I book yeah. airfare for that or book a car to drive because I don't like the carbon footprint of flying. So
3: <laughs> I I'm, I'm grateful for I'm grateful that somebody is standing up for me, but and and yes. I appreciate that, but I don't feel like you interrupt me. And so I'm sorry if it comes across like that, that's too bad because that's
1: definitely not the vibe. Was was the was an email from Larry by any chance?
2: <laughs>
1: uh, just. My my big brother Larry, he's
3: definitely going to come and beat you up.
2: <laughs> uh, no, no, it was it was not from Larry.
3: <laughs> Larry's more likely to ask you to smoke a joint. Yeah, oh, hey, you know, <laughs> is that legal in Connecticut? <laughs> I don't know, but it is in California it's, where he lives. <laughs> it is fully legal, it's legal in Massachusetts.
1: It's I swear to God, I I mean I would go skiing on Fridays with my my son. He's in the the ski club, and man, there are times when you go to the mountain and you're just like, whoa kids <laughs> well, let's hurt. just say
3: what, when you asked me about Nam at the beginning of the show I did leave out that part well, I've of just, like, yes. <laughs> as, as the day went on there were definitely people yeah. that had a more interesting aroma it that's was when you funny. get them to buy stuff exactly not just snacks, yeah. not just snacks.
1: <laughs> I don't know if high people are as <laughs> suggestible <laughs> as drunk so i spend <laughs> enough time around drunk people you figure out how you can sort of push them in which direction you want them to go if you stay st- it's anyway We are totally off topic, so let's get back (laughs) on topic. What else do we want to talk about? So you know, you know
2: what, uh, you know what's uh, good now that you know now that pot is becoming legal everywhere is you smell it everywhere. (laughs) Well, there's that, but eventually someday you won't have to worry about you know being impaired and driving because you might actually maybe possibly have autonomous vehicles. Um, And Cruise uh, this past week uh, showed us what they're getting prepared for that. And Cruise, for those don't recall is Cruise Automation is a company that GM bought in 2016 uh, to develop their production automated driving system. And since then, uh, SoftBank and Honda both put money into it and they took equity stakes in Cruise. Um, And this week, Cruise uh, in San Francisco showed off the Cruise origin. Um, When Honda uh, jumped into the fray in late 2018 uh, with GM and, and Cruise, Part of that deal was that Honda and GM would collaborate on developing a purpose-built automated vehicle for Cruise, and you know the, the reason for that is because you know up until now Cruise has been using a fleet of modified Chevrolet Bolts, just as everybody else in this business has been using various modified production vehicles for their uh, for their development purposes. But frankly, none of the vehicles that you can go out and buy today are really well suited to being robo taxis because, you know, they don't have things like doors that close automatically and, you know, they still have all kinds of other stuff that you don't need for a robo taxi, like steering wheels and pedals and all kinds of other, you know, little, little, you know, trivial things. (laughs) So, um, so they, you know, Honda and GM and working together with cruise develop, have developed a vehicle that they call the cruise origin which is a robo-taxi. And this is the kind of vehicle, there's already some vehicles out there that are not fundamentally different, you know, things like the Navia Arma and, you know, there's various other uh, developmental, you know, uh, robo-taxis. The, you know, one of the things about the origin is uh, that, you know, it's, it really takes into account a lot of the stuff I've been talking about for the last several years and a lot of the talks I give at conferences, you know, which is this idea of robo-taxis need to be modular. Uh, you know, and so it you need to rethink the architecture of the vehicle. You know, today, when manufacturers design vehicles, they design them to, you know, last 10, 15, 20 years, you know, go, you know, a couple hundred thousand miles. Um, you know, when you start talking about the robo taxi application, you know, ideally, you know, these things are running all day, you know, carrying people, delivering packages and so on and, you know, getting very high utilization. They're not sitting around parked 95% of the time, like our conventional vehicles are. And so, you know, these things are gonna be racking up, you know, maybe 100,000 miles a year or more. And if you took a, a conventional vehicle, you know, that thing would be worn out in two or three years and you scrap it and start over again. What Cruise and GM and Honda have done is they came up, you know, they, they developed a vehicle where the basic structure of the vehicle, you know, is designed to last a million miles. You know, so the structure the chassis, all that stuff designed for a million miles of use. And then all the stuff that goes into it is modular and it's designed to be easily replaced. So things like the sensors, you know, when you've got a technology like automated driving where it's evolving quickly, um, you know, two or three years from now, the sensors you're using may well be obsolete and you want something that has better performance, lower cost, same thing with the communication system. You know, as we're going from 4G to 5G to whatever comes after that, um, you know, and, uh, you know, and because these things are going to be used for people getting in and out all the time, you know, you want interior uh, seating and, and things that are designed for this kind of use case, um, you know, that are going to be durable and easy to clean. Uh, oh, and, you know, you want things like doors that close automatically. You <laughs> know, if you have, you know, a million Tesla Model 3 robo taxis, you know, people get out of the vehicle, they may or may not, close the door completely, you know, then the car is stuck there and it can't move. And, you know, and it's not like a, you know, like a regular taxi or a ride hail vehicle where, you know, you've got a driver there that can go around and close the door if the if the passenger gets out and doesn't close it properly or leaves the trunk lid unlatched. You know, all, the, all this stuff is taken care of in this design, you know, to really, you know, it's, it's addressing what you actually need for this kind of use case.
1: So, um, it seemed like there was a little bit of disappointment with it, though, when it, it debuted the other day, um, although people were saying like, yeah, they're not they're not messing around. They're pretty serious. Uh, but <clears throat> I, I, I guess, can you sort of speak to impressions of, of how it was received?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, you know, this you know, this is not a should I put this? This is not, uh, you know, a real um, design statement. You know, it's not it's not, you know, some sexy looking new sports car. You know, it's basically a box on wheels, which is what all of these things are going to be. You know, it's it's going to be a box on wheels um, because that is what you actually want for that kind of use case. You know, you want something that's easy to get in and out of, um, you know, easy to put stuff in, uh, you know, and because there's no operator there, you know, you've got, like I said, you got to deal with those other issues. Um, you know, I think, in, you know, to some to some degree, you know the design team has done some interesting things with this thing, like you know the way they've incorporated the cruise colors, you know their orange, white, black, you know to for some of this, you know it's not, you know it, it's got a little more style to it, but you know it's it's never going to be something really cool and sexy looking because that kind of vehicle doesn't make sense for this kind of application. You know, a few years ago at CES, Mercedes showed a concept called the F O 15 which was this really sleek looking thing. You know, and that, yeah, it's cool, but you know, it makes no sense for a robo taxi. You want something that's more upright, you know, and you know, in the case of the Origin, you know, they've got seating for six, you know, everybody facing the middle of the vehicle. So you got lots of leg room, you know, easy to move around. It's, um, you know, it's a much better use case.
3: It's sort of the evolution of what we've seen in the interiors of airplanes, right? Like, you know, a private plane looks very different than a a, typical 737 or Airbus A380 or something. You you know, when you look at a private plane, they're small, they've got couches, like they've got all sorts of crazy things going on. And that's great for that purpose. But what we're talking about is not private ownership of vehicles. We're talking about a, a public space, Right. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. nobody's going to yeah. have these in, in their driveway. This is a public space. This is uh, a right. way to get from A to B. Isn't that kind of a bus? That's a different thing.
2: <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, it's, it's a mini bus.
3: Don't get me started. It's, Don't get me yeah. started on calling no, things. And,
2: <laughs> no. And, and that, you know, that's essentially, I mean, what we're talking about here, you know, is microtransit. You know, it, it's all about, you know, right. You know, getting the right size vehicle for every trip, you know, so this, Vehicles like this are, first of all, never going to be sold to consumers. This is only going to be used for mobility services. Right, but it's also, you know, a case of, you know, it's something where, you know, buses, you know, buses and subways and so on are great for routes where you have a lot of people going the same direction. But there's a lot of trips that we take in urban areas where you don't have a lot of people going the same direction at the same time. I guess
1: areas that aren't and, urban too, like those still need mobility. So, okay. Right. right.
3: And the last, and, that last mile sort of thing.
2: Yeah. And so, you know, that's why, you know, you, there isn't a single silver bullet solution. I, I think there's a lot of people in urban areas that should be taking buses and subways and trains, but there's a lot of trips where that doesn't make sense. And that's why, um, you know, transit, transit systems are so challenged when it comes to their finances because they have to try to service as much of a city as they can provide, provide service, but there's not enough utilization on a lot of those routes or at certain times of the day to make it economically viable. So that's another question
1: I have is like, who says that transit has to necessarily make revenue? Um, It, it it kind of, it provides others the, the ability to, to make that revenue like right it, it provides it doesn't you, need to make true. a
3: profit it doesn't need to make yeah. a profit well, uh, it needs to make it needs to pay it, for it, itself though.
1: Or, or does it or, or does it because well, like and, by providing some, that mobility like and no. this is always the knock on it like well how are we going to pay for it and it's like well i but mean in
3: some capacity though i, I suppose but I if, mean, if
1: you provide enough mobility right you can get people to work and then those in theory i know this no. is a beautiful theory those people will pay taxes <laughs> and those taxes will be it, the revenue that offsets the the you know cost of the system i'd
3: if they, facil- yes, if it facilitates cre- job creation, then by all means, but it's what you're really focusing on is convenience. We have seen with the, the explosion of Uber and Lyft and such that people will pay for convenience. They will pay some for some people will pay for it. Some, but a lot people people that can. Well, so the, but Yeah, but the crazy people thing that is, that like can. those
1: people, they can pay for convenience, and they're paying ostensibly for convenience, but they're not getting it. They're actually paying to make everything for everybody else, including themselves, less convenient because they're adding to no. congestion.
3: Absolutely. I mean, New York City, I have never seen it so crowded and and it's ridiculous. And and you can spot an Uber Lyft driver a mile away because they're driving differently than the yellow taxis.
1: Right. Because they, those drivers know where they're they going. Like they're professional. Yeah, the yellow taxis is like <laughs> I'm always I mean, amused I by those. Rides. It's, just like, all right, it's no, like riding the know, back of NASCAR with no seatbelt. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. No, you know, it's so funny, though,
3: Dan, is seriously like I remember because I actually didn't drive in New York until I was in my 20s, even though I grew up because we didn't need to. Yeah. We just take the, yeah, take the train. Yeah,
1: uh,
3: Right. But I remember having lived in Boston for 13 years when I moved back to this into the into the metro New York area the traffic was far more predictable in manhattan because you were because you were dealing with yellow taxis and that was your main foe mm, yeah. in boston you're dealing with everybody. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was very unpredictable to me. And I actually got into the rhythm of driving in New York because you, you anticipate that, you know, that that yellow taxi driver is going to be unbelievably offensive, right? He is a defense. He's, he's driving in defensive mode. Yeah. You then have to drive in appropriate. Yeah. Manner. But
1: see, that's the thing. You can mix it up with the taxis and they don't, they don't, They don't mind like they'll be aggressive, but if you're aggressive back, like, uh, okay, at a certain point, that's expected
3: (laughs) that that's expected with Uber and Lyft dominating the roads today. It's not you don't know what you're getting because you've got very you've got people that are everyday drivers driving other people around. They they're not qualified. They don't know where they're going. They have not had the same type of training. And it's a really different thing. But my whole point is that is that people this this mobility, these evolution this, the evolution in mobility, we have to migrate. It has to evolve towards convenience because it doesn't evolve towards groups. Like that's that's why carpooling is not that popular because you can't as as Sam, as um, as Sam said, it's about getting the mass to. A certain direction. But that funnel, as you get closer to that location, the funnel gets narrower and narrower as to how many people actually need to go to that spot. Yes, that's that's just. And people, right? And people will pay for the convenience of getting dropped off right at. Their
1: doorway. I still think, you know, that. it just is going to take one really solid economic downturn and then carpooling is going to be back. <laughs> 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 uh, but, you know, it's actually uh, the economic side of it is interesting to me just because SoftBank is an investor. And man, SoftBank has not had a good track record lately, especially. No, in and, and that's and that's one of oh. the cha-
2: one of the things here, you know, SoftBank, you know, it's now becoming, you know, something to, you know, when you see oh, this is a company that SoftBank put money into, I'm going the right, other exactly. way. Right, exactly. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, boy. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: yeah. But, so, you know, and and this is something, we, you know, we can, we'll be talking about more in the future, but, you know, th- this is, you know, just one piece of, you know, a multimodal mobility ecosystem that, you know, goes from micro, micro mobility, you know, scooters and bikes to, you know, pods like this to, uh, to mass transit, you know, and, everything in between you know we we need a lot of different solutions you know so that you have the the right vehicle for every trip uh you know because you know there is there is no solution that is ideal for everything for every trip for every person Yeah, so
1: we talked about i think the philosophy behind this was there any any sort of like engineering things that stood out i mean you got two you know two companies that are solid engineering powerhouses gm and honda um you know, putting this thing together, it, it, it is, it, is they, I'm assuming it's viable and not just. Oh yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, they, they were, you know, they were pr- pr- uh, pretty light on specific details, but I did get some stuff from a variety of people. I talked to uh, this week. Um, first of all, the, the EV platform that they're using for this thing is not based on the bolt. It's actually GM's what they call their Bev three platform. It's their new generation EV platform, uh, which is going to be, uh, so it means it's sharing components with, um, you know, things like the the upcoming uh, Cadillac electric crossover that's coming in various other uh, EVs that are coming from GM in the next couple of years. Um, also, um, you know, they in, in order to try to keep the cost of this vehicle manageable, you know, they're staying away from exotic materials like carbon fiber and so on. It's got a basic steel unibody structure, um, you know, and. You know, but they they claim that, you know, the cost of this vehicle, even with the automated driving system is going to, they, they didn't give a specific number, but they they hinted that it would be about half the cost of a premium electric SUV. Um, and on and the, and the slide that they showed during the presentation, they had two Cruise Origins and a Tesla Model X. And, you know, so that kind of implies that it's somewhere in the forty-five to $50,000 price range. And when I talked to people afterwards, they said, Yeah, that's about right. Somewhere in that neighborhood. And by getting rid of things that you don't need uh, from Mm -hmm. conventional vehicles like the steering wheel and pedals and mirrors and windshield wipers and, uh, you know, power seats and all this other stuff that we've been talking (laughs) about today, um, you know, that takes a lot of cost out of the thing, you know, and keeping it a, a more simple, straightforward thing and then, you know, making it modular so that you can easily service and replace these various components that uh, over the over the life of the vehicle.
1: I, I think that's a very smart approach. Mm-hmm. I look forward to taking like- a ride on it and telling people what I think. <laughs> I, I,
2: I hear I hear it's going to show up somewhere later uh somewhere this summer for some pilot programs. And I'm sure we'll start seeing these on the streets in San Francisco um, you know, sometime in the next several I months.
1: Super duper can't wait to heckle the crap out of that in Boston traffic either. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, that is super one of the duper. challenges that AV developers have is, is dealing with hecklers.
3: With yeah. <laughs> super duper. Hecklers. Right. Exactly. Well, yeah. Boston.
1: <laughs> did we have any other topics that we wanted to cover? And we got a little bit out of order, I think with, with our, our topic list, but I think we covered everything. Um,
2: yeah, we did. Okay. Um, wow. Let me see. There, there's a couple other emails, but let's save those for next time. Uh, any praise, we'll come, we'll come any effusive praise. I'll take the effusive praise. Uh yeah so uh there was uh Chuck Goolsby. Oh Chuck Chuck. Uh, he, Chuck is a friend yeah, of ours. He, he, <laughs> yeah, he he uh he sent us his hello world email uh and he's uh just to let us know he's out there and um his uh, current fleet includes uh an 07 uh BMW M Roadster, a 65 E-Type Jaguar, Still has the E-type a, seven, nice. a 79 BMW 320i and an 87 uh M6. Um so uh yeah, and and he's had a, a bunch of other interesting vehicles over the years as well. So he's he's or actually uh, some uh, some of these he actually still has. Uh, oh, he says he, these days he mostly drives a Kubota diesel tractor. Um, does does but, he drive uh, the tractor,
1: or does the tractor drive the tractor?
2: Uh, sounds like he said he drives okay. it. Okay, so we'll see. see. I
1: think there's a market uh, for um, like retrofitting the autonomous driving onto tractors that can be repaired. Um, <laughs> yeah.
3: Do you have Mm. a lot of caffeine today? Uh,
1: (laughs) I had a little bit. I also think there's a market for, um, you know, making screens that replace the giant touch screens in cars and you have buttons and switches on them and maybe a smaller screen. Hey, hey, um, I,
3: I will say I was so excited today because I was able to both turn the radio on, adjust the volume and change the station the very first time in the jeep wrangler and i appreciate it. Oh, that. that's that's
1: that is excellent yeah just wait till next year when they put like a 24 inch cur- curve screen in. although i think the curve screens yeah, well, are actually gonna be
2: good well, yeah we'll, we'll 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 be talking more about such screens next week
1: all right awesome can't wait well until then uh we'll catch everybody later all right
3: bye